When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is the introduction to Watergate, The Corruption and Fall of Richard Nixon by Fred Emery. Watergate is a compelling story of botched government that in two years went from the implausible to the unthinkable, the first resignation in the history of a US president. If it was a self-destruct tragedy for Richard Nixon, for the American people it was a drawn-out ordeal that tested the robustness of the democratic process. Despite some alarms, institutions held steady law was upheld, and a chastened republic survived. Modern leaders have had their terms of office involuntarily terminated in a number of ways. In the Communist Party of the former Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev was simply replaced by a secret Politburo vote. In its dog days, Mikhail Gorbachev was deposed in a coup, restored, then found that the entity for which he was president, the USSR, had itself been dissolved. He was left officeless. Equally firmly, British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who had never lost a vote in Parliament and had won three elections, was, when her party feared she might lose the fourth, persuaded to step down in what since has been revealed as an act of treachery by cabinet colleagues. In the United States, no living president has involuntarily given up office until the 37th President Richard Nixon. He resigned two and a half years short of completing his second term rather than risk being removed from office by a congressional vote for impeachment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me is an insanely talented writer, staff writer at the awesome website Slashfilm, um, and he's one of my most hilarious Twitter follows. Um, if you do get a chance to follow him, it's uh, just forthright and, and hilarious sort of madness that comes from his Twitter feed, and it's just beautiful. Uh, and also, last year, as folks who are listening on the One Heat Minute Productions podcast feed would know, there was a couple of times that we got to speak to the great Michael Mann as part of shows that we did, not only One Heat Minute, the fairy tale ending in One Heat Minute, but also the last episode of the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. And uh, I do know that one of my guest heroes uh, uh, got to sit right down in front of him at the wake in the wake of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out. That person was Quentin Tarantino, and he was talking to the man who I'm talking to right now, Chris Evangelista. Chris, thank you so much for coming back to One Eight Minute Productions, and to welcome to all the President's Minutes. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. I have a, I have a lot to live up to now. So. <laughs> well, look, I. I if you if you have if, if you want to be modest about your amazing and insane and just lovable Twitter, um, that's <laughs> up to you. Um, but I won't. I, I I'm here to give you the florid introduction that I feel you deserve. So that's that's where it's at. And of course, um, sat in front of the great Tarantino uh, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood slash. That was awesome. Um, we were just yeah. talking about it before, and so it's 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 great to have you back. I'm excited to talk to break down another minute with you. 
Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Can I ask, before we get started, has, you know, right now, America, contemporary politics, the the suffix of gate being added to everything has already been happening for many, many years, but it feels like since the Trump presidency, it's like way back in fashion. In the Trump presidency, have you found yourself revisiting this movie, All the President's Men, or have it, has it just been a direction that I've asked you to, to sort of take as, as part of this show? You know, it's interesting. So the the day of tr- I mean, I don't want to go into a whole rant here. Or maybe I should, but please go, uh, please go. So uh, leading up to the the election, I, I'm a I'm a very uh, negative person. I wish I weren't, but I am. It's just my my default. I'm a pessimist, is the term. So leading up to the election, everyone I knew was like, "There's no way he's going to win," and I was like, "I'm telling you." everything is bad and he's going to win and it's going to be awful. And everyone just kept telling me over and over again, you know, my wife, my friends, they were all like, there's no way he'll win. And then he won. And it was, <laughs> it was just the worst feeling in the world. And, um, the night of his inauguration, I mean, I, first of all, the day of his inauguration, I, this was back when I was working, uh, an office job and I just didn't want to be in there. Cause a lot of people I worked with were like, supporters of him and i was just disgusted so i caught out of work and i went to the movies and saw um split the m night Shyamalan film because that was that was a, so i saw that and then the night i got home and i was like i'm gonna watch all the president's men because i it was like it was almost like comfort food it was like ah this is something i'm not gonna say it's something to look forward to but it's like <laughs> ah this is this is proof that we've sort of been here before yes. and we found our way out of it. Little did I know things would just get worse and worse. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've, we've reached this point in America where, uh, I mean, and again, this is my perspective. I'm not, I'm obviously not speaking for all Americans, but from my perspective, it's, we've reached this point where we've become so numb to just nonstop insanity. Like yes. I remember, the, you know, the, the first I don't know if you, you will remember this, but like the very first Trump press conference with Sean Spicer, which is like 20, whatever. I do. <laughs> public, I think it was, I yeah. think it was seven. I want to say 17 because Sean Spicer was the second. Was he the second press? No, secretary? he was the first one. Oh, and he then was the there's first. Been like, there's been and like, been like a litany of, of them afterwards. Yeah, that's right. Right. But the, the very first press conference he held was to talk about how the crowd at the inauguration was bigger than people were saying it was like they were the, their very first action was to immediately start lying about something trivial. And I was like, this is like so much worse than I thought it was going to be. And it's just been all downhill since then. And, uh, you know, we're at this point where, you know, Americans, they, they, they hold on to this idea that, all right, it's all going to work out. But, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a pessimist and I would love for it to all work out. I would love, you know, we're, we're in, we're in an election year now in America. I, you know, my fingers are crossed that people who voted differently or didn't vote last time learned their lesson and they're like, all right, this time we're going to vote him out. But if he wins again, I'm honestly not going to be surprised. I'm going to be horrified, <laughs> but I'm not going to be like, oh, I can't believe this happened. I will fully believe it happened, but I'm really, really hoping the end is near. Um, I don't, you know, people still hold the idea that, you know, he's, you know, obviously he's been impeached now and there's the idea that, oh, maybe the trial will kick him out of office. Like, no, that's not, it'll never happen. He'll, I, you know, I, uh, you know, and there's still people who are like, 
one day he'll go to jail. Like, no, that'll never <laughs> happen. He should, but he, you know, he's a he's a rich white man in America. Even if he somehow got convicted of crimes, he would find a way to like make a deal and get out of it. And that's just that's who he is. He's gotten away with everything his entire awful life, and he will continue <laughs> to do so. And so, yeah, we're I, starting the show off on a pleasant note. I, I just want to say I love I love the um, I love Chris's pessimism because I think there's a healthy level of pessimism that people need to have because I think there's a comfort in um, there's sometimes a comfort in a crowd of people going, no, this is too ridiculous and it's too funny, but without ever listening to like, you know, outside of the madness, just hear the people eating it up, like eating up the madness. So be right. pessimistic. It's nice to have that healthy pessimism, but I also love uh, in, in, in your, to your point, it's like, like it's sometimes being right. Isn't fun. It's not, it's not fun right. the day that you were right. It was like, it's not fun to be right. It sucked right. that day. I was like, oh, if, it was not a fun day for you to be right. Right. I, like that, Exactly. Like I was, like I said, I, I always had this thing in the back of my head where I was like, maybe I'm wrong and the world is better than I think it is. <laughs> and that day was like, it was like a confirmation. It was like, no, you've been right this entire time and everything is as bad as you thought it was. And I was uh, like, oh, that, that sucks. I was hoping I was wrong. There was a very, very funny quote from Dave Chappelle where he goes, I was right once at an orgy. And he said, and he goes, and, and in his words, he said, no one fucked me. <laughs> and so I feel as soon as you were saying that, I was like, yep, well, Chris knows. Chris knows that it's not good to be right. It's not good to be right sometimes. Right. Look, um, that was a beautiful rant to kick off this show. That is exactly, look, All the President's Men, made in 1976, based off the book that was written sort of broadly in, about the events that happened around 1972 by Woodward and Bernstein, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward at the Washington Post. The film is directed by the incredible Alan Pakula. It's produced by its star, Robert Redford, and stars Dustin Hoffman and a litany of other wonderful people written by Bill Goldman, like the godfather of screenwriting in America for many, many years. Um, it is it is a comfort food. And I'm so glad that on that first night, after watching Split of all things, that's hilarious, because um, <laughs> uh, uh, your whole country was feeling split personalities like uh, like James <laughs> McAvoy on that day. Um, uh we're going to watch now a minute together, Chris and I, uh, and then we're going to come back and talk about it and sort of start diving into the balm. I think that's what what is going to get said over and over again as we approach this now, the 12th minute of All the President's Men is there is something so deeply soothing about the process of this movie and the belief that people, no matter how powerful, no matter what position of power can be held to account. So we're going to watch this minute now, 12th minute. And it's a, a lovely little courtroom scene, and then we're going to come back and talk about it together. No, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You're a lawyer, and you're here. <laughs> uh, one of the defendants, Mr. Barker, and I met at a social occasion once. Where? I have nothing else to say. A Miami social occasion? Mr. Starkey says the Cubans were from Miami. L62, James McCord. L63, Bernard Barker. L64, Rodillo. Gonzalez, L65, Gino Martinez, L66, Frank Stargis. Please step forward, Attorney Starkey. All charged with burglary due. Now, Mr. Starkey, will you represent all five? Yes, Your Honor. And are all five gentlemen charged with burglary in the second degree? Yes, Your Honor. Your names, please, and state your possessions. Bernard Barker, 
anti-communist. Anti-communist? Yes, sir, is not your average professional. James McCord, security consultant. We unfortunately don't get to find out James McCord's uh, profession in this minute. But it right. is... When I, when I watched this minute, I was like, oh, I can't believe it cuts off <laughs> right before he says where he works because that's the all shit moment. I was like, ah, I was so close to having that. No, that's that's okay. We can definitely talk about it. But it is... I want to kick this minute off with just talking a little bit about the the brilliant performance that's happening from Robert Redford. Like the bigger performance is what's in the the focal point of the frame, the bigger part of the frame, um, where where this lawyer character who is very slick um, and is 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 very uh, uh, very well dressed and uh, and. I'm just going to pick up his name here because I, I, I'm always forgetting this guy's name. He is... I'm sorry. Where is his name? I wrote it down for this exact episode and I've lost it. Ah, here we go. Nicholas Costa is the actor. And I want to talk about Nicholas Costa and I want to talk about him in relation to Redford's Woodward. And I just love, love, love Chris, the way that he says, I have nothing else to say. And the instinct and the charm and just every performance choice of Redford, and this is like his his blistering charm that happens in his entire movie career, is that someone can say, I have nothing else to say, and he follows up with a question and they continue talking to him. There is just right. something so perfect about the temperament of his performance, the way that he is measured. There is no hostility. There's none of that Bernstein edge. Like my editor's going to kick my ass if I don't file something and I want you to be able to have something to say. None of that. It's just there's this way where he is eking out information out of this person who literally does not want to say a word to him. Yeah. It's, um, I think one of Robert Redford's gifts, especially in this movie, is he's very good at being a handsome man, not playing a handsome man. Yes. Like he's 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 supposed to be playing like an average Joe in this movie. <laughs> like, you know, if you look at the real Bob Woodward, he did not look like Robert Redford. He does not. I'm sorry, Bob. And, <laughs> and even though Robert Redford is, you know, charming in this, and even though he, you know, obviously he looks like Robert Redford, he's still the way his 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 body language, the way he's like, like hunching over on that seat. And he's just, he, he looks like a normal guy. He doesn't look like a movie star. And I think that's one of the coolest things about this movie. Like, even though there are movie stars in this movie, you know, Dustin Hoffman was a huge star. None of these people in this movie look like movie stars. They all look like normal people. You can buy that Robert Redford in this movie is a reporter and he's got the, you know, the, the language and, and the way, you know, you interview people down really well. And it, it's so well done. It's it's also, I think you, you hit something because I've read it. I've definitely read it in the way in your writing, your criticism is it's there is something so magical when a director sort of anoints a, an emerging star as a movie star with those hero shots. And then there's other people who like carry those hero shots like, anything you know tom cruise in in a bunch of your sort of quintessential work on mission impossible like he gets those hero shots he gets those movie star moments he gets all that and i think it's pacula's sort of brilliance here with gordon willis as a cinematographer is like just muting all of that natural like glow that like 
Redford has to like blue, just blow out the screen and be this huge movie star because all the charms there, but all the hero shots are not like all the lighting is not all the way that the framing is happening. is not even the way that he's sort of tilted in the back of the frame. None of that's there. It's yeah. I, I, I completely agree. There's just something so, so deeply special about actually harnessing what someone has, but also like not, not overwhelming the audience that oh this is Robert Redford like it's actually allowing you to sort of be immersed into this moment and Nicholas Costa is such a slimy thing too and you can't wait for him to keep spilling the beans like in this 12th minute he's just he's just pouring out this information that he does not want to be giving and it's just beautiful like this ongoing little like charming uh, unassuming exchange is like it's becoming extremely fruitful right yeah, and he's another one who, who you know, uh, I'm not overly familiar with his work, obviously, because I should should do better and research the stuff. But <laughs> but he he looks like the most natural person there. Like honestly, if you've told me that Pakula just went to a courtroom one day with Robert Redford and everyone else in the courtroom wasn't an actor, they were just there, and he shot this, I would you know I would sort of believe that just because <laughs> everyone looks like they belong and yeah. I, I think it's really cool that um, that actor, what was his name again? His name's Nicholas Costa. He's actually a Londoner. And so um, ah. he's, he's been working. He's got like a hundred, he's got like 171 IMDb credits. He was born in 1933. He's still working. He's still wow. working. And he comes in here like, and we're talking like four, more like 40 years ago. And he's just this slimy, like slimy, you know, pocket right. square, you know, light suit, like, could not look more out of place when you just see someone who's like sitting in a district court and like a black turtleneck behind him just sort of like slouched over the chair and here's him in this like it looks like a gucci tie like it's it's completely over the top on a saturday morning um for him right. to be doing this and he's and he's just nailing the accent this sort of weird you know wealthy floridian something that's hard to place but it's perfectly hard to place he's never raising his voice obviously because they're in the court and he's just yeah that 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 flash of unrecognizable like i don't know who this person is is just so perfect right and i love that he's the one in the foreground like redford is the guy in the background which yeah. is like i feel like if this movie were made today with a, a major star no they would be like don't you dare put me in the background <laughs> i have to be <laughs> yeah so i love that and then we get the great twist moment. We finally, the questioning stops. You know, it's been it's been charted over about five minutes now. In this movie, there's some just absolutely wonderful titanic exchanges of information. And this is kind of the summation of the first one. And it's just uh, Markham, this lawyer played by Costa, and, and obviously Redford just going through the motions here. It's absolutely stunning. But then this is where it gets serious. These five burglars get led back into the court, into the courtroom, to the judge, to to start telling <laughs> telling their story, shall they say? Um, right. And as they as they come in, there's the beautiful. Um, I think it's is it is it Bianca, uh, Bachinsky or Barker that goes first. I can't remember. It's one of those two that goes first, and he's like he's like I'm an anti communist. And the judge right. even, the judge even does the question like that's a strange profession, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's not a that's a it's a weird profession. Right, yeah. But not a, you don't hear that every day. No. Anti-communist. <laughs> Look, definitely, I don't know about anti-communist Twitter, 
Um, I do know about film Twitter, but I think we maybe need to go down a rabbit hole for anti-communist Twitter. I certainly haven't seen anything like that myself. And so that's just another wrinkle on this great thing because you're like, oh, there's even something more deeply wrong than I'm understanding right now, which is it's just about it's just about to go to hell. And I will indulge you to, to talk a couple of seconds outside your minute, which is the, the absolute clangor of a revelation um, that... Uh, uh, James McCord. James McCord. That's him. James McCord. Right. Maybe he's uh he's worked worked for a, a little institution known as the CIA. <laughs> which... Right, and yeah, he he like whispers it, and I think Redford actually says like shit. It's it's literally like the all shit moment, <laughs> and it's so great because uh, you know both in the movie and in real life you know, they were treating this almost as like a non-story hmm. and. Like Nixon was so shady that he had already been connected to previous break-ins before, and that—that's how like how casual they were about it. They were like, "Ah, eh, it's you know, it's just that Nixon guy. He breaks into <laughs> stuff all the time. Who cares?" And they were sort of like just shrugging it off as like, "Ah, eh, it's just you know politics. It's just you know the election. It's not a big deal." And it's literally that all shit moment where where Woodward realizes, "Oh, there's something." more to this than just some average morning day in court like this is going to lead somewhere bigger and it's such a great way to pull you into that story because redford leans forward and, and we're leaning forward with him and it's just it's we're, we're in there's like no turning back at that point and it's such a great choice the way that it's downplayed even in the courtroom like you're sort of hearing it in this sort of weird echo like the echo right. chamber of the room like the acoustics of the room feel like they're intact like he first says it, and you're like, "What?" And then Redford does that great thing. He puts his pen in his mouth. You know, I'm doing it to you on Skype as we're talking now. He's like, <laughs> and I go, "Like the oh shit!" His mouth literally, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Just yeah. Starts, the notes become a little bit more feverish and uh, crazy. And Jack Warden you know, in the preceding scenes has been wonderful already as Harry Rosenfeld. He's just absolutely outstanding, great comedic actor and a great dramatic actor in this moment, chewing the hell out of everything um, in the scene. And, you know, he's he's more excited about the prospect that someone with $800 on them and, and bugging equipment broke in there, let alone who they may be, connections. It just seems out of place. It's like, oh, this is, you know, people who had money did this. You know, the angle already starts to write itself almost in the preamble of this scene um, uh, in, in, you know, in preceding minutes, which is like, oh, you know, this is this is all, you know, some some white collar crook has gone to bug the Democratic headquarters. This can't be out of place. Right. And then right. now in this moment, it's as they stand up in court, it's it starts to get a little bit more hairy and scary. Yeah. And another, I, I also like you were saying, I love the the downplaying of it in the sense that, again, um like I said, if earlier with that shot where Redford's in the background, if they had made that today, if they had made this movie again today, there would there would be like a dramatic close up of James McCord saying that, and yes. the music would rise. You'd be like, bump, bump, bump. It would just be like, <laughs> and this is done. It's almost like if you're not paying attention, you might miss yeah, it. And I, if you're not paying attention, you have to wait till the next scene to find out that he's in the CIA. Right. Like if you if you're if you're a modern day viewer and you're like I'm gonna look at my phone during the scene because <laughs> that's how I watch movies now and you would totally miss that and I I love that because I just I I love that this is the much like Heat is the quintessential heist film I love that this is the the quintessential 
uh, reporter film or journalism. I have a, I have a really soft spot for journalism films and mo- movies about reporters, even ones that aren't bad. Like, I don't know if you ever saw, there's a movie called like State of Play with Russell yes, Crowe. And, yes, and it's already ben come Affleck. up on this show, which isn't a terribly great movie, but the journalism stuff is great. It's actually right. Great. I, like, yeah, even though like that movie's not fantastic, I just love the reporter stuff. And like Zodiac is like uh, a great example where it's like Zodiac, I remember is off. It's like, Zodiac is like all the president's men of serial killer movies. And I, <laughs> I just love that every, every movie about a journalism character or reporter, it, it pulls from this because this movie does it so well. It's, you know, it's, you know, he's just there on the front line, just scribbling down notes and he's asking questions. And, you know, this movie, it's all talk and mm. it should not be as exciting as it is, but it's so exciting to just watch these guys like there's like a, a, I feel like there's like a 30 minute stretch in this movie where it's just him and, and Hoffman like knocking on doors and just like getting nowhere. And like in theory, it's like, oh, that should that sounds boring, but it's not. It's so exciting. To just watch these people do their jobs. I, and I, I, just- I think you're so right. And I think you hit the nail on the head with two things, which is in presidents and Zodiac, they do something that's amazing, which is the momentum of the movie kickstarts with like like you're going on a downhill slope down a massive mountain on the fastest skis possible like the momentum is blistering you can barely keep you you can barely keep up with how fast it goes but the movies both take it to this unbelievable experiential level when they stall when things go to shit when you have to knock on doors and everyone gives you the same answer and you literally sit down in a macas and strategize that you're going to start the list again because there's no way that you kind of exhausted every possibility on that list. And there's no way that you can be closed out of every door for all the amount of time. And this is where the, op- this is where the gateway is to that information. And similarly with Zodiac, it's the failures of the singular police characters. Um, it's the failure of the singular reporters. And it's then, um, you know, on, on Jake Gyllenhaal's sort of um, uh, vocational investigator, that's kind of part journalist, part detective that sort of starts to piece the whole picture together, like that starts to draw a bigger and paint a wider brush with more time. And I think that's that's what I like. I don't think this movie's speedy investigation bits are nearly as exciting without that, exactly like you said. It's that, like, the failure and the excitement of maybe they will get a breakthrough or maybe not. And and that's, that's, a, that's such a huge, it's such a huge uh, gut feeling and rhythm of this entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I don't want to jump ahead to the end of the movie, but I just <laughs> uh, you're allowed spoiler. You're, you're you're allowed to jump you're allowed to jump all over. We've we've talked to you know, we've used your minute as a portal and we're allowed to talk about everything all the president's been. I mean, what I I one of one of the many things I love in this movie is that we get that we get the teletype title card telling us what happened, but the, you know, the action of the movie, it ends without a real resolution. It's, mm. it's literally just like, all right, we got to get back to work. And that's, I love that, that shot where they're just like typing away and Nixon's getting like sworn in. And it's like, I can't imagine, again, I keep coming back to modern day times because modern day movies are terrible. Not really, <laughs> but, but, so many are, but like, I, I imagine like pitching, like we're going to make a movie about Watergate, but it ends you know, the action ends before Nixon resigns. And it's like, even like the post, uh, Steven Spielberg's the post, which is a movie I love. Um, he can't resist having that, that ending where 
it literally cuts to the Watergate break-in. It's like, that has nothing to do with this movie, <laughs> but he can't resist throwing that in. And it's like, ah, you had an ending. It, it's literally like... But I they have that huge, a- they have that cute, huge K. Graham hero descent from the courthouse where they are found to be legally sound in there holding the government to account. And and with their New York Times, you know, counterparts and it take, cuts away from Bradley and it's K you know, walking down those, the, and, and, and this sort of chorus of women faces um, that sort of sort of watch her descend back down into the world. And so that's the hero shot. And yeah, you would think that in a more classical movie, especially a modern movie, Spielberg being a bit of a romantic too, he's like, oh, I'm going to finish it like this. But the, you know, this is him the whole time nudging up against all the president's men going, hey, I really love this movie. Hey, I right. really just, I really want to have what they're having, but I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, and I, I think there's even like a moment where Meryl Streep or Kay Graham is like, well, at least that's over with. We'll never have to do this again. And then it, it like cuts to Watergate and you like you hear the the guard being like, we've got to break it at the Watergate. And I was like, no, you were, you were so close to having like a perfect movie. And then you threw this in. I mean, again, I, I still love the post, but uh, that ending always makes me like wince a little bit i just i just wish i was in a cinema like three rows in front of you and just when that moment happens just to hear you howl no (laughs) (laughs) Ah, pulling my hair out you were almost there oh so good so good um what now it's it's a really weird one this film and it's so so steeped in politics, but I want to talk to you about one specific thing which I think really resonates with me as m- a very much an outsider, like a non-American, is I love that despite the partisan politics that are on show in this film, and that's often mentioned in the archival footage and often mentioned in their criticisms and very much discussed in the newsrooms, and it's a, something that they're all contending with because of Bradley's allegiances, etc., prior, um, uh, prior to this happening, and it's very much referenced in the post. I just love the entire thing elevating above the political to the moral. And all of these exchanges back and forth, they do this great dance, Chris, which I love, which is it starts out where it's talking about politics or what got you in there. And it's maybe the the awesome interviewing techniques of both the guys, really, you know, Hoffman as Bernstein and, and, and Redford as Woodward. And they start with a political edge. And then it's like, the answer that keeps coming back with so many of these really brave whistleblowers who are like risking their lives to tell this information that is so inflammatory on the presidency and on the administration that it's like, but this goes beyond politics. It goes beyond politics to an extent. It then comes to morality. Like, is it right that we do this? And the answer is no. Absolutely. And um, it's funny, like when, when I was... I revisited this a while ago before this, and I, I don't remember the exact line, but there's a part where they're talking in Jack Warden's character. This is obviously totally paraphrasing, but he, he more or less says, like, are you telling me the White House would commit a crime? And he says it like he's so <laughs> incredulous. And you watch that compared to what we know now, especially with you know the, the Trump presidency. And it's like, I don't want to say they're naive, but they're they believe in these institutions so yes. much that they're, they're butting up against. And it's almost like unthinkable. It's like, Oh, we can't, you know, who would dare besmirch the office of the presidency. And it's 
we know so much better now for, you know, for worse. We, we know that, <laughs> you know, this is like a warm up to what much worse things, but it's, it's, you know, like I said, I, I watched this movie on inauguration night as, you know, a, a soothing thing, but on another hand, it, it's kind of depressing because in the end, you know, uh, morality or, you know, common sense, and the institutions prevail and yes, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what they're doing matters is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and I feel like, especially with the, the Trump presidency, it doesn't like there have been so many, you know, this is like one scandal, one scandal. And it brought Nixon down. Trump has had hundreds. It's like, I feel like it's been hundreds of scandals and, none of them like move the needle like and it's it's and the you know, only, I, I, the only inversion and this is one big comparison and we'll definitely we can definitely touch on a couple of others but like as, as an outsider following the Mueller report and sort of not going into the entire report but like going through all of the reporting that sort of break down a detailed summary of like everything that is everything that is in there the one overwhelming thing which is you know deep throats advice to Woodward and Bernstein is like start on the outside go on the inside, follow the money, is you find a complete chain of people who thinking because the president is telling them to do something that they're above the law and they feel that that protection is there. And so they slowly indict like every single link in the chain and it eventually leads to Nixon where he's going to be indicted, he's going to be impeached and he resigns because his ego can't take, his ego can't take the impeachment essentially. The differences in the Trump administration, especially when you talk about Mueller, is that like outside of all of those people who have been fired and indicted because there's a stack of them, all these people around him, campaign managers, etc., is this whole like litany of people, public servants, who have received direct orders to do illegal things, which would have seen him directly indicted, and they just didn't do it. <laughs> they just right. didn't do it. They did not go through with an order. Like He's giving them a direct order to do something illegal, and some of these public servants have gone, nope, not doing that. And they just lied to him. Yep, yep, I'll do that. Yep, sure. Walk out of the office. Nope, not doing it. Thanks very much. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's literally by the morality of certain individuals, even in that administration, the White House, certain illegal activities have not been able to happen because they know, maybe because it's, you know, maybe that that's the, the lasting impact of this movie and of this event that the movie is portraying is you cannot get away. If you are the link in the chain that's doing something knowingly illegal for the president, guess what? You're indictable. You will go to jail. And some of these people care about that. Right. And the master in chief, so to speak, doesn't. <laughs> like, he doesn't right. give a shit. No. He's like, he's, he's like, this is, I want you to do this illegal thing um, because his ego thinks that he's untouchable. But that's what's so crazy is that by some weird, almost happy accident, it's like a comedy. It's like wag the dog as well. Like, you know, it's, it's, this, is, this is that kind of madness. Right. And it's, you know, for all of Nixon's flaws, he knew what he was doing, I guess, is the way you could say it. Yes. He, he was a smart guy. And Donald Trump is not a smart person. <laughs> and I, he kind of we kind of have that in our favor, the sense that everyone around him knows he's a just a an old man whose brain is melting. And, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, he's all you know, he's fired so many people and he has. There's very few of those, you know, people left who, yes. who want to do the right thing, and now he's yes. basically surrounded by sycophants, and that's part of the reason why I'm so terrified 
like if he wins re-election, I you know not to get all doom and gloom, but I can't I can't see the country as you know it is now surviving. I feel like four more years we won't survive four more years of this. I can't believe we survived this long. So uh, it's it's a it's a it's an unbelievable situation. And it, 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 you know, but again, that goes back to this where it's like you know, the, the reporting brought Nixon down and why hasn't the reporting done the same here? It's a and great it's question. Because, and, uh, and, and is it, is it because, and I think you touched on it and I don't know if you realize that uh, maybe this is just me reading too much into even what you said is the, there is such a cavalcade of like nonsense, like refuting nonsense claims, like right from the outset, from the spot, the beginning of Spicer there's such a cavalcade of nonsense that comes through that to wade through the the nonsense that when the huge the huge events happen the the most uh, the the most crazy circumstances start coming to to light it's like you've got to wade through 350 other things that are factually inaccurate that he said you right. know what I mean? Like you, you, like you said at the beginning, like, oh, it was bigger than Obama's. No, it wasn't. Here's f- photographic evidence. Here's two photos. This right. was the Obama one. It's the biggest ever. No, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, it's the biggest ever. No, it wasn't. Right. Oh, no, it's the biggest ever for a Republican. No, it wasn't. It's like, okay, look, we'll just go back to like, because if you just want to just, let's just take it as a snapshot of the crowd around Washington Monument. Let's just do that. Because that's basically the standard photo that everyone takes at the beginning of their inauguration. Let's go back. There's one for Bush. There's one for Bush Senior. You know, there's 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 one for Clinton. There's you know the multiples for Clinton. There's both Obamas. There's you know let's just keep going back and back and back and here we are. Like it's it's there's just madness. And oh, this is the first administration to do this. No, it isn't. Like he's saying things against his own administration. It's one of those things. I think the um, in the second episode of all the president's minutes, uh, an Aussie journo, J.R. Hennessy, um, is a very funny guy. He just goes, everything happens so much. <laughs> is what his right. su- summary was and i'm like maybe that's what it is it's like in 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 the land of trump right now in the world that we know as trump it's like everything just happens so much right and it, i i guess that yeah that is a great way of saying it because you know w- with all the president's men this is like the biggest thing they had ever heard of. it's like it was unthinkable unthinkable right and now it's like well nothing that he does nothing that trump does is unthinkable at this point like he's so bad that when he doesn't do something he gets praised like if he like ah he he walked down the steps and didn't trip what a great guy it's like that's not you know that's what you're supposed to do like you don't praise him for it's just it's it's exhausting and it wears you down and i you know i want to still believe in these institutions i want to still believe that journalism matters and i think it does matter but journalism is also was so much different back then you know know, there was no internet there was no there was i mean obviously there were partisan newspapers but it's not like you know there was no fox news in 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 all the president's men so there's there's no like other side with a huge media platform yelling not to believe your own eyes and that's what we have today and it's you know, it's a, it's a weird and it, look, it's a weird stance that it's happening in Australia. I'll give you a, like there's an, examples of there was a great example and it went viral 
and I'll sort of share it with you. I think I think I might have already shared it on the show, but I'll share it with you because American audiences who are listening wouldn't wouldn't have this same context. So in Australia, we've got the same equivalent stupid morning shows like Today Shows, and you often get those on one side of the desk is. Uh, you know, a liberal person in, in your parlance, like a more progressive person, and then there's a more conservative person on the other side. And then there's this middle host who's just like listening contently, you know, sort of like fielding questions, um, trying to keep the conversation flowing, etc. And there was a circumstance where our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was on holidays over Christmas in Hawaii while Australia was in the middle of this bushfire crisis. He just took a holiday with his families because he thought that the state agencies had it well in hand. Whatever he may think, it doesn't matter. And this lib- this conservative mouthpiece on the other side was like, yeah, he deserves a holiday. He's, you know, one of the greatest prime ministers this country's ever seen. He's he's done nothing. Like, he's done nothing. And like, he literally, he's put his shoes on every day. Congratulations. That's about the only award he deserves. Like, that's it. Right. And it finally gets over to you know, our liberal sort of progressive person, a, a, a like a television commentator, comedian, host, and she's just like, what is wrong with you? The country is on fire. Do you understand what you're saying? Like the state agencies have got it in hand. He, you know, he deserves to take holiday. No, no, no. Leadership means that when you're in a crisis, you're on the ground doing whatever you can, comforting the people in your country that every every measure is being done and then continually revisiting and, and being a leader and being on the front line and continually revisiting the idea that we can support our people in any other way. Like, you know, talk to government agencies, talk to, you know, institutions in the country, like, you know, put, put, put things in place that helps to save lives and help people rebuild because like, you know, 5 million hectares or something of like forest in Australia is down. And I just remember that was like, it was almost like one of those, I don't, I don't want to say it because it's one of those things that people talk about all the time. It's like that post-truth moment, right? Where like there have been other examples, even people from his same political party as leaders when there has been a crisis who dropped everything and went to that crisis to be the leader of this country. And then there are now defenders who are in the media who are like, no, he doesn't have to do that. And they're like, if you were backing your party, you would look at your party's history. What did your party do? Let's just say purely partisan. What did they do? If the conservative, you know, Australian Conservative Party, all those leaders have demonstrated that when there's a crisis, they do everything they can. Like they change laws overnight. They go to the ground and they're on the ground from day one and they're there until it's done. And they're there at the cleanup and they inject the money because they want people to prosper. And like the conservative media machine just goes, no, we're going to fight about it. It's like, what are you talking about? And so I think that's what's crazy is like the sides of this thing have blinded to the morality and what's comforting and scary and saddening sometimes about this film is that no one's morality is ever overcome by the political allegiance in this movie. Right. Like, especially the people who are loyal party members who are speaking out because they know what happened was wrong, like really wrong, like crossed the line wrong. Right. No, you're right. I'm, I'm like speechless now because yeah, um, it, it, I just keep coming back to that thought where it's like I want to believe this movie. Yeah, I want to believe. It, I want. I want. Yeah, I'm like Fox Mulder in the X Files. <laughs> I want to believe, and it's, it's getting... you know what we need instead of that poster that says "I want to believe" with the spaceship. It's just a fa- it's Robert Redford's face. Like we just I right. want. To, I want to believe. So bad. right, exactly. I want to believe that this is there are still things like this out there yeah. and it's 
you know, Bob Woodward even wrote a book about the Trump presidency. Yes. And he has all these people on the record. I think it's called fear and has all these people on the record just talking about what a nightmare it is. And compare that to this. It didn't have the same impact. And it's like, uh, man, time. <laughs> I, I wish. You know, I want to jump ahead to the future uh, <laughs> because I feel like there's going to be a time where I can look back on on this of you know this this time in, in our country with clearer eyes. But yeah, you're in the cold like, face though. It's so what's what's brilliant about this movie, Chris, and what's really hard is that like now we're looking back on it. You know, essentially almost 50 years after it was made, and we're looking at it, and it was. So even though it was made right then at the time, such a primary source, it's got such a timeless quality and it seems to resonate with the power of the event without really knowing the magnitude of what the event would mean in Western culture. But it's so hard for you or I, and particularly you and other Americans who are listening and other Americans who are experiencing like the political upheaval there and social upheaval is because you're in it. Like, you know, it's you know we're not talking about the Trump movie that's being made right now in this show because it's so hard to to have any kind of cognitive distance away from what's happening or be objective or try and like dig underneath it. It's because you're just the, there's such an onslaught of a information, but an onslaught of dumb misinformation. Um, and you know even as far as a couple of days ago, this is the other thing. There was a, I had a, people who'd be listening. Um, this is being recorded. Uh, I, I didn't do this in one hit minute a lot, but this for context. So when people are listening, if it jumps across the map a bit, it's the 10th of January in Australia, 2020. And like two days ago in the Australian news cycle around the fires, everything stopped in the media cycle about what was actually happening and people were cataloging misinformation. So there were reporters, great reporters in Australia who were cataloging misinformation that was going out in Facebook about the fires, about arsonists and things like that. And part of that reason was because the Conservative Party here was denying that it was that climate change had impacted the conditions that got us to where we are right now. And... So they were lying about it and putting misinformation out there through different channels. And the reporters were like mapping them out and going, okay, this misinformation is coming from here and that's this source and this is this and this is that. And so they had to spend a whole day like fighting misinformation before we could sort of get back to a baseline of, okay, let's continue to report on what's happening. Because the attributions were just too hard for some conservative people who just don't believe or toe the party line and say, no, climate change is, you know, doesn't exist. And, you know, that can't be part of this conversation. Right. That I mean, that same thing happens here with, I mean, uh, you know, what's going on right now in Iran, uh, Iran where uh, th- there's so much misinformation about that. And I, I feel, I think like BuzzFeed, it's like one of the few things BuzzFeed does that I, I really like. They actually do, they do this around anytime there's like a, a shooting here too, because we have all sorts of, <laughs> all, we have so, all sorts of fun stuff here in the States. Um, <laughs> anytime something like that happens, BuzzFeed will actually put together news posts where it's like here is every single fake thing going around social media about this and it's helpful but at the same time i I worry it's like preaching to the choir it's like i'm looking at it but no one on fox news is looking at it right exactly is is someone who doesn't believe that stuff gonna actually give it the time of day i don't think so but you never know uh you never know but what you do know is that all the president's men I think continues to be a bomb. I want it to be a bomb. I want I want you to think of it as something that's comforting, because it, it it's got it, it's t- you know it's time it's time for it to be a bomb. I think people are 
I think when when the consequences of media spin aren't felt, like there's no major event, then then it's easy to sort of go on unabated. But I think what I can say positively from the Australian situation is that there's definitely been a shift since the fires, which is that there is a consequence to people ignoring climate change and with a party that particularly as an example that has ignored it and denied it and continues to go on unabated who constantly does all this inaction towards it it's like no when you ignore it and things happen and people die and houses get lost and families get you know emotionally tormented by you know having to lie under a jetty at a beach you know, watching a whole cove, like the whole hill of where their town was and all of their friends' houses just all like go up in flames and then have to get rescued via Navy boats. It's serious. And I think it's just like, I think, you know, in, in the States with the whole Iranian situation at the moment, or internationally with the whole Iranian situation at the moment, it's like people don't want to go to war in 2020. It's dumb. Wars are dumb, especially wars that can end with nuclear war. That's really dumb. And we want to just live our lives. And so I think if the consequences start to become maybe more extreme than we've ever had to see before, I think that might start shaking people out of the the nonsense. Like there's no positive way to spin a new war. There's no positive way to spin it. In in theory, I'm sure they'll find (laughs) someone someone in the Republican Party will find a way. I love you, Chris. (laughs) <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been my amazing guest, Chris Evangelista. This has been the 12th minute of all the president's minutes. Mate, thank you so much for being a part of the show. It is always a treat to read your stuff and it's always a treat to chat to you. And um, and thank you for your, your beautiful and, and thoroughly enjoyable. And actually, look, sanity, sanity maintaining pessimism. We need it. We need it that there. <laughs> we need to say, I want to believe and not I believe. That's I think that's 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 what we need. So thank you, my friend, for being a part of the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Huge thank you once again to my incredibly talented friend, Chris Evangelista. If you want to find Chris's stuff, it's slashfilm.com or follow his incredible Twittery on at cevangelista413 on Twitter. Thank you so much again for listening to all the President's Minutes and anything on the One Heat Minute Productions feed. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and producer of Increment Vice, as well as everything that's been happening on the One Heat Minute Productions feed. If you want to follow me, simply go to at one Blake Minute on Instagram and on Twitter or to oneheatminute.com to find out everything that's happening with the show and about the show. If you guys want to support us, we have a link on oneheatminute.com to our Patreon. If you can spare even a couple of bucks a month, the cost of a coffee a month you are going to be contributing to this show, The Amazing Increment Vice, and any other amazing shows that are a part of One Heat Minute Productions. Thank you so much in advance. If you can't support us, you don't have the cash, that's totally fine. But please, subscribe, rate, review, and share the shows. We would love, if you are digging the show, share them with like-minded film folk around the place. Thank you so much once again for listening to this episode. We'll catch you on another episode of All the President's Minutes and another episode in the One Heat Minute Productions feed very soon.